Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we get going with today's show, I'd like to give a shout out to the fab team over at F45, who are the sponsors of this season of Welfare. The next 10 weeks of training chat wouldn't have been possible without them. Plus, a big learning from my own marathon journey is that there's more to going well far than just running alone, which is why I teamed up with F45. Their functional training classes are designed to help build strength in body and mind. Honestly, I challenge any of you to take an all-star class and exit the building not feeling a little bit more badass. Welcome back everyone to Welfare, your weekly running podcast hosted by me, Amy Lane. Last week we had a good old chat with Charlotte Arter about the difference between training for a 5k and a 10k and how you can pick up the pace. Today we're going to talk about the one thing that can either help or hinder that, it's your menstrual cycle. The inspiration for today's show came via Strava, who conducted a global survey with active women. Of these women, 72% say they have never received any education regarding exercise in their menstrual cycle. Yet one in three women have missed a workout as a result of their menstrual cycle. So today, I've enlisted the help of Dr. Anita Mitra to help us runners get to grips with our hormones, the link between period and performance, and what happens when you run too far with exercise. Do listen to the end of the show as Chris McGee is back for another stretch with you guys. It's strong, it's soothing, it's everything you need a cool down to be. Right then, let's get on with the news you can use. If you've been taking it easy over the festive break, like so easy you've been in a meditative state, then you'll be on board with this news. A recent study shows that finding Zen for just 20 minutes a day could help you avoid making crucial mistakes in your running. Yep, that's right. Getting well Zen could help you guys go well far. Let me elaborate. The study, published in the journal Brain Sciences, included 212 participants who had never meditated before. Half of those studies did guided meditation, the other half watched a TED talk. Afterwards, the researchers measured their brainwaves while doing a quiz. Those who meditated made less errors in the quiz. A first analysis by the study author suggests that runners who meditate develop skills that can aid training and racing by decreasing errors. So all together now, om. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was trying to be funny, but I'm not sure I quite achieved it. So uh, I'm just going to get on with this week's shout out, which goes to Cooper Can Run on Instagram. After feeling a bit of a funk coming on, she went out on a stunning trail run to clear her head. Using running to shake off negativity and bring back the positivity really speaks to me at the moment. So well done, Cooper. If only I lived in Scotland so I could come and run those trails with you. I am now in the studio with Dr. Anita Mitra, who has been leading the charge in making vagina chat as normal as ordering your oat milk latte. Welcome, Anita. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. I know you're off the back of four night shifts. Yeah, exactly. So disclaimer, if I talk nonsense, that's why. (laughs) 
So, Anita, for the past couple of years, you've really been spearheading the conversation around women learning more about their bodies and especially their their menstrual cycle, periods, vaginas, everything. What was your motivation to become a doctor with a PhD in the vagina? Well, I mean, I didn't always want to be an obstetrician and gynaecologist. I actually wanted to be a kidney transplant surgeon when I was at university. And then I had this amazing consultant who was looking after me in my obs and gyne placement when I was at medical school. And I just, I don't know, I just had this amazing experience where I thought, wow, this is incredible how we can help women and, you know, we can be with them on the best and the worst days of their lives because, you know, what we do is so extreme. So we are looking after pregnant women, delivering babies, um, looking after them throughout their pregnancy, but then also looking after people who are going through gynecological cancers and, you know, just even kind of really basic stuff such as just problems with periods, problems with hormones. We deal with it all and we deal with young women and older women and I, I really like just that variety of things that we deal with. So I just thought, wow, it's amazing how we can just help all of these different kind of conditions and uh, just treat such a fascinating range of, of diseases and also things that are completely normal, such as pregnancy. So no day is the same in your life? Absolutely not. <laughs> Before we go into the whole miles and the menstrual cycle chat, can you give our listeners just a bit of a 101 on their menstrual cycle? Yeah, absolutely. So I think first of all, just to say, is that the menstrual cycle is the whole month. So it encompasses the time from the start of one period right until up until the start of the next one. And so a textbook um, average menstrual cycle would be 28 days. But really anything from 21 to 35 days is normal. Okay, so that's seven days variation either side. And quite often when I ask people how long is your menstrual cycle, they say, oh, three or four days. So that's the period. That's the duration of bleeding. And so something around five days is quite average. So day one is the first day of your period. And then you bleed for a couple of days. And then throughout the rest of the month, there are so many things happening, so many hormones fluctuating. And so as women, we're never really sort of biochemically the same on one day to the next. Everything is changing. And it's this huge intricate fluctuation of all the hormones that are happening. So right after your period, your hormone levels are generally sort of quite low. And so that's why people will often feel a bit tired when they're having their period because estrogen levels are quite low. Um, and then they start to pick up and you get this huge surge in estrogen levels that prompts ovulation and that is the release of an egg and so that tends to happen around day 14 if you're having this kind of textbook 28 day cycle and when that happens you will then a few days later start to get this huge surge in progesterone and so the reason that you get that is because when the egg is released it leaves behind something called the corpus luteum and so that is the major source of progesterone in the non-pregnant female that then dictates the rest of the cycle. And so when that corpus luteum starts to degrade, if you haven't got pregnant, then that prompts your period to happen. And so broadly speaking, we call the first half of the cycle the follicular phase, and then the second half is the luteal phase because of the fact that we've got that corpus luteum there. And so you need a very precise fluctuation in the hormones so when people say like, oh my hormones are out of balance well they're meant to be out of balance <laughs> that is kind of how they work um, and so your your predominant female hormones are estrogen and progesterone right um, but as women we do still make testosterone so it's very difficult to look at 
a level of a hormone and say, well, because your hormone level is that, it, you're going to feel X, Y, Z. It really depends on the relative amounts of other hormones. So that's why we always feel different at different times of the cycle. So does that mean to understand if yours is either up or down, you kind of need to understand what it's doing over the whole the exactly. whole month and then compare it to something. Yeah, and compare it relative levels to other hormones. And so it's not actually just estrogen and progesterone that are working alone. So all of our body hormones, so things like insulin, melatonin, um, all these different hormones are having an impact on estrogen and progesterone levels and estrogen and progesterone having an impact on those hormones. So it's actually, we always think of our ovaries as working in isolation uh, and that they just kind of like tick away down there. But it's totally not the case because... You've got your brain that feeds into the ovaries and also the impact of the adrenal glands can also change your female hormone levels. So it's really complicated. Um, and so it's really difficult to look at absolute levels of a hormone. You have to look at everything together. Together. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like the only really think about what's going on down there, the wonder down under, whatever, um, is when you are either experiencing a symptom like period pain or PMS yeah, or something or you're on your period. Yeah, absolutely. For the rest of the month, you forget about it, but actually then you don't There's connect the There's a lot of work dots. going on. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why I think it's quite interesting to track your cycle as well. And it's something that I do actually really encourage patients to do and something that I do myself. Um, because, you know, it can help you to understand why you may be feeling a certain way at different times of the cycle. Um, but I think I've noticed a lot of articles, um, especially online, looking at tracking cycles. And I think there's a tendency to become a little bit fixated on it as well. And so whilst I do think it's helpful, I think that, you know, you won't always be able to say, look, I feel like this. So that's where I am in my cycle. And so I would say about 50 percent of the time I can really identify. But 50 percent of the time I don't notice any difference with where I am in my cycle. It's, I hadn't ever thought about my cycle until a few years ago when I started tracking my cycle. Mm. And I've definitely been able to pinpoint a few things. Yeah. There's like a lot of the month, I have no idea what's going on. Um, but it has given me that awareness on a certain day throughout the month when I do feel a bit more emotional. Yeah. And I saw a bit of a trend in that. Definitely. That's really um, interesting. Yeah. But I just wish when I was at school, you know... I'd been given that functionality or told about it, whereas yeah. at school I feel like I was um, educated in not getting pregnant or how to get pregnant, and yeah. there was the big knowledge gap of everything in between. Totally. With that in mind, how does exercise affect these hormones and therefore the menstrual cycle? Yeah, so your hormones will impact on how your body is able to perform, essentially. And so we know that particularly straight after your period, you tend to be often feeling quite strong and you're able to do lots of kind of hit workouts. Often people find that they are easier at that time of the month. And certainly you can train when you're on a period as well. And then as you kind of lead up to ovulation, some people may find that that's the strongest time of them the month and that's when they're going to for example get a pb if you're doing something like lifting or you know it's the time when you're going to be really good at like short sharp bursts of exercise and that may also be because that we're, we're better at mobilizing um, sugar as a main energy source so that's again because of the impact of your hormones on your metabolism then later on in the cycle tends to be um, when we're mainly using fats for energy. And so that's when we may actually be better at endurance training. So if you wanted to do, for example, a really long run, you may find that it's actually easier later on in the cycle. But, you know, some people will say there's actually no difference. But that's, again, where I think tracking is a really good idea because you can 
see if you do find patterns. And I also think it's just helpful to kind of think about why you might not be feeling at your peak or why something might be harder and just kind of give yourself a break. You know, if you are not trying to kind of like hit any particular goals and you're just training for enjoyment, which I think, you know, most of us probably are, just do what you feel you can and don't feel you have to just do hit in the first two weeks and then just do long runs at the end. But, you know, I've noticed a lot of really great coaches out there who are looking at the impact of this for the athletes that they are training and using ways of manipulating their training according to stages of the cycle. But, you know, I think you know, for the recreational athlete, just do as you feel you, you want to. So, in the Women's World Cup, the most recent one, uh, the USA team came out afterwards and said that they've been tracking their menstrual cycle, giving the data to their coach, and yeah. actually they're crediting part of their win to it. But there's also a lot of athletes and sportswomen out there that are saying that they would never still talk to their coaches about their menstruation. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where we've got to break down this taboo because for women, it, it's it's a major factor in how they're going to perform. Um, and, you know, men are completely different. I mean, there is a hormone cycle in men and men still have hormones but it's not fluctuating in quite the same way that it is for women and so whilst men and women are you know we're all humans we are working in quite different ways I've read about how at certain times in the month because of your hormone changes that there can be an increase in injury have you ever seen have you ever seen that in women do you ever talk about that in your clinics I know obviously you don't deal with injury but yeah so there's loads of studies about this um, and a lot of them are done in athletes because you know that's the that's where you find a really great subset of women um, who are going to be maybe more prone to injuries and so it's actually times when the estrogen's highest that people have noticed that you're more likely to get ligament injuries. And so the ligament injury that is mainly talked about in the literature is an ACL injury, so the anterior crucial ligament, which is a ligament in the knee. Mm. And so women are actually up to eight times more likely to get ACL injuries than men. And it's, wow. it's thought that it is because of the hormone fluctuations that women experience. So... The, the ligament can become more loose at certain times in the cycle and it has been suggested that that may be a time when women are more likely to get an injury. That would be when your oestrogen is highest and so that's just sort of before ovulation and so that tends to be the typical time when women are more prone. People have also looked at the impact of the oral contraceptive pill on ligament injuries because we know that when you're on the oral contraceptive pill you don't get that same surge in oestrogen and so then if you negate that, then women are less likely to get ACL injuries. And so there's been quite a few studies looking at that again. People suggest that maybe there's about a 20% reduction in ACL injuries in women who are on the pill. Now, it tends to be the um, the combined oral contraceptive pill, so the one that has the estrogen and progesterone, um, which you take for 21 days, that... Um, actually stops ovulation. That's the way it works. Right. Um, and so that actually stops that estrogen surge. But the progesterone-only pill, so the one that you take continuously that just contains progesterone, doesn't actually work by inhibiting ovulation. It's not the main mechanism of action. But even taking that pill has also been associated with a decrease in the risk of injury. Interesting. So, I mean, some people are advocating, you know, should we actually be using the, the pill? Now, it's a really difficult one to say. But, you know, I think that's something that an athlete would need to discuss with their coach. And it's not unusual for women to be taking the contraceptive pill as athletes. And it's not a bad thing to do. But... I have also noticed people talking about um, muscle gain and the pill. 
So this is a pretty interesting thing. And I've seen actually some coaches online saying, you know, you shouldn't take the pill. People saying that, you know, it interferes with your muscle gain and it's not good as someone who wants to build muscle. But the thing is, the studies are really not conclusive. Right. And so some studies have suggested that maybe it does interfere with muscle gain. But does it actually translate into decreased performance? That's the thing. So you can find a study that will tell you whatever you want. Um, but does it actually translate into real life? And again, I think that that's why it's sometimes difficult when we start to get bogged down in the really fine details. And that's why I really think it's so individual and you just kind of have to be your own guinea pig. Mm. So I wouldn't advocate telling people to start taking the pill for their training or to stop taking it for the training. I think that you have to, as a person, say, okay, why do I want to take the pill to start with? Because most people, let's be honest, are using it for primarily for contraception. You know, Some people are using it, for example, for their skin or for PMS mm. or for underlying conditions such as endometriosis, which again could be interfering with their training. So think about your primary reason for taking it and then look and think, okay, since I started taking it, have I actually noticed a difference? But I'm really an advocate for people kind of taking things on a personal level and seeing how they personally feel and not being guided by someone else's anecdotal experience of what happened to them when they were taking it. Do you see a lot of that online, people giving their own kind of experience, but actually not having science to back it up or... Yeah, definitely. And I think the thing is that I do see loads of... Um, sort of fitness enthusiasts, coaches and things wanting to put information out there about women's health and often it is anecdotal. Mm. And so that's fine and that's great. And I think we do have to share our experiences and it's really helpful. But I wouldn't necessarily change my own practice or what I'm doing based on someone else's anecdote because our hormones are very individual. So Mm. just because, for example... Um, me and you say we were both taking exactly the same pill, for example, if we were taking the pill, and then we're both doing the same training, we're going to have very different effects from that because your body's your body and my body's my body. And then we've got to take into account other things that impact on our hormones, such as our sleep, our diet, you know, all these other things that are going to have an impact. So it's really difficult to compare. And But again, you can always find a study to back up what you want to say. So it's really, really difficult. And that's where I think we just have to be really careful of where we get our information from. And I think a lot of the time it does also come down to every person who is consuming content online is to just to stop and be mindful about what you're consuming. Yeah. So rather than just because someone said that and you're in such a rush of your, you know, in your life that you just go, oh, what they're saying must be gospels to sit back and get actually form your own opinion on it. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Because I think we've stopped doing that a little bit. So continuing the conversation on exercise and the menstrual cycle, I read about a study which was conducted by Strava and they found that 47% of women surveyed felt that moderate intensity exercise can help with menstrual pain. Yeah, definitely. Is that is that a thing? Like, yeah. what's your views? So I am obviously a massive fan of exercise. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I never tell people not to exercise. I tell them to do what they feel they are comfortable with. And I, I think that also there's a lot of focus on, like, what's the best exercise for this? Mm. And so there was a study a few years ago which looked at loads of different um, studies where they'd looked at the impact of exercise on period pain. And... All the different studies use different kinds of exercise. So some use dance, some use yoga, some use running. Um, But basically, all of the studies came to the same conclusion that actually doing exercise can help with period pain, particularly when you do it throughout the month. Oh, okay. So 
this is the thing. It's all about kind of like trying to keep, you know, a really nice steady baseline and not being a kind of not being reactionary. Yeah. Don't do it as a reaction to something that's happening. Just kind of like try and keep your health going all throughout the month. During your period, though, generally speaking, yeah, as you said, it tends to be sort of moderate intensity exercise that people find really helpful. And we don't really know why. We don't Uh, really know the mechanism. Some people have suggested that maybe it's because you increase your endorphins that makes you more likely to have a higher pain threshold. Some people suggest that it increases the clearance of, of prostaglandins, which are the chemical messengers that cause period pain. They cause that kind of cramping sensation that you get no one really knows so but you know i think you know as with a lot of things it doesn't really matter if we know the mechanism if it makes you feel good just keep doing it. it there's also this massive conversation which happens in the running world about how if you take it too far it can also impact your menstrual cycle there have been runners such as tina muir announcing she was stepping away from running after nine years because of anamenorrhea amenorrhea amenorrhea yeah Why is there such a common link between running and a lack of periods and what causes it? Yeah, so amenorrhea means not having a period and it's something that's quite common. And so, I mean, running is a very energy um, demanding exercise, really, especially if you're doing really long runs. And, you know, it's not unusual for, you know, your everyday woman to, for example, decide that she's going to run a marathon. And, you know, that is no small task, really, if you think about it. So overall, though, when it comes to exercise, it's all about are we overusing energy and then not replacing it? So are you doing too much exercise and then not eating enough? And so that's really the the key to it. And I think other things that really contribute in everyday life are also related to are we actually resting enough? Right. And what other stresses have we got going on? Because if you think about it, the way that we train, we, you know, you go to a class or you do a really long run or something. So you're training like an athlete and then you're probably like running to the office and having a crazy day of like deadlines and all this kind of thing. And then you go home and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to wash my kit and I've got to like meal prep. And then, oh, suddenly it's like 11 o'clock and then you go to bed and then you have this maybe terrible night of not enough sleep and then you get up and do it all over again so we're training like athletes but not behaving like athletes because realistically athletes are all napping when they're not training they're really resting hard they probably are you know really keeping a track on what they're putting in in terms of energy and their macronutrients micronutrients and they're really on top of it whereas we're kind of like winging it almost (laughs) (laughs) That's so true about the sleep thing, by the way, because I interviewed KJT and she has a two-hour nap. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, that would be delightful, wouldn't it, if we can all have a two-hour nap? (laughs) Yeah. But we're not. And so, yeah, essentially, if you are not putting enough energy in, you're using too much energy, you haven't got anything to power this house. Uh, And so our body recognises that way before we do and just starts to shut down. So... The whole kind of basis of your period stopping is because your body's saying, right, this woman is not in any kind of fit state to have a baby. And that's why you stop having periods, because you don't need to use that energy. And your body is saying, we're not we're not ready. We haven't got enough nutrients. We're not resting enough. We're not going to be able to sustain that pregnancy. So it's kind of an evolutionary thing. And yeah, it's all to do with energy and the stress that we're putting on our bodies. And so it's something that's quite common in people who are 
you know, really exercising heavily. I think that there's a bit of a misunderstanding in the medical community, and I'll completely hold my hands up to that. And I think that a lot of doctors seem to think that women have to be severely underweight to be losing their period through um, excessive exercise and maybe not eating enough. Um, but that's just really not true. You really don't have to be underweight. If you you know, are not having a period, you do really need to be looking at what you're doing in terms of exercise, how you can rest more, how you can nourish your body uh, and how you can sleep better. And they're the things that I would be really looking at. But I would like to be seeing people if they're not having a period. You know, if your period suddenly stops, look at what you can do, the things that you might be able to change. But if you're not getting your period back within sort of three to six months, I'd be wanting you to go and see your doctor to just rule out any other reasons why it might be happening. Looking for other hormone changes that could have happened, so things like thyroid problems. There's lots of other causes that we can rule out. And again, I just hate this kind of, oh, you just need to put on weight, you need to stop exercising. It's really not helpful. My personal take on it is I like to have a discussion with people about why they are training so hard. Do you actually need to? And again, that's not me wanting to say stop exercising, but, you know, how could you actually exercise that's in a way that's going to be better for your health and for your body? Um, maybe changing up a few sessions instead of, you know, having like five really, really hard sessions a week. Maybe you could dial that down to three and then two something a bit lighter something that's going to give yourself a bit of a rest and I think that you know sometimes we can lose perspective do you see that a lot in clinic yeah when people are having issues yeah often do and you know people are I see a lot of people women who are really concerned that they're going through a premature menopause and actually when I talk to them about what they're doing I say well you know there's a lot of reasons here why I can see that you're not having a period and sometimes you actually just need to have that conversation with someone you just need to get a bit of external insight I'm really hoping that that conversation around that is only going to continue and that more athletes are going to feel actually that by other women talking about it that it's not it's not normal it's not okay and actually let's sort out that problem in athletics because Definitely. it is huge yeah circling back to the pill so if you don't have a period because you were on the pill or you run your pills back to back yeah will that affect your bone health and your other health no so that's a little bit different so certain contraceptives actually will stop your periods and that's kind of related to their mechanism of action so People who take the combined oral contraceptive pill, which is the most common, will have a period when they have that break, uh, that seven-day break. And it's not really a true period in the sense that it's not happening because of the same hormone fluctuations. It's We call it a withdrawal bleed. So it's because you're not taking the pill. Women will find that the periods are often lighter and a lot of athletes who suffer with problems with heavy periods will actually use the pill in order to help the periods get lighter so that they can still train in the way that they want to. But it's the progesterone type of um, contraceptive. So things like the the progesterone-only pill, the Mirena coil, the implant, the injection, they all work by keeping the lining really thin. Um, And so then 
if there was a egg that was fertilized, it wouldn't be able to implant. And they also keep the mucus really thick so that hopefully the sperm wouldn't be able to get to the egg. But so because that's um, part of the mechanism of action, lots of women will find the periods are lighter and a lot of women will actually find that they stop completely. So particularly with the progesterone only pill, about 20% of people won't have periods. And that's not unhealthy because it's how it's designed. And so not having a period using those kind of um, hormones is not associated with the same poor outcomes as not having a period when you're not using a hormonal contraception. So it's if your cycle goes wonky out of nowhere and you're not on any of those things. Quick ad break. We all know that training can be a long, lonely road. So spark joy beyond the odd nod to strangers by joining a fitness tribe. There have been so many times when I found some much needed motivation from a group workout. One of the strongest fitness communities out there is F45. Their slappy high-five atmosphere and buzzy studio is a great contrast to solo slogs. Thank you, F45, for supporting today's pod. There's a term which floats around the internet, which is called the female athlete triad. Yeah. It's getting a lot of airtime at the moment. I know that's related to menstrual cycle. Would you give us a little bit of a 101 on it and why nutrition and the other things that you've mentioned feed into it? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the female athlete triad is all about um, overtraining, under eating and then not having a period. And so now people are using the term REDS instead, which is relative energy deficiency in sport, um, to actually encompass the men. So we're being more inclusive of all different genders. Um, but again, it's the same concept. It's about, you know, under underpowering this amazing machine, which is our body, <laughs> that we're expecting to, you know, put on this incredible performance. Uh, and it's just something... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. That we have to be super aware of because, again, that's where we find the negative impact of, of sport on our body. So, again, looking at our bone health, um, but also, you know, it makes you much more prone to injuries and it's just not, not a good state to be in. If women want to get pregnant, yeah. 
Is there a time in the month which they should be dialing down their exercise? Does it does it have a massive effect on your fertility? Because there's obviously a lot of scaremongering stories yeah, online, or like, don't run during your days of conception, possible conception, blah blah blah. <laughs> no, so I mean, I wouldn't tell people to change anything about their exercise regime if they're trying to conceive, assuming that they're having a regular menstrual cycle. So. This is, again, where we need to think about what is our exercise doing to our bodies. And if you're not having a regular period, so something that is 21 to 35 days Mm. as a cycle, or you're just not having a period at all, then you're unlikely to be ovulating. And if you're not ovulating, you cannot get pregnant because you're not releasing that egg every month. So if that's a concern, then yes, you need to look at what you're doing in terms of exercise and work out what's going on. See a doctor, make sure there's no other reasons why you're not having a period. But yeah, if you're having a regular cycle, you can do exactly what you want to do. Then a lot of people I find tend to kind of like stop exercising as soon as they get a positive pregnancy test. And again, I would really encourage people to do what they want to do. In the first trimester, so the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, most people feel pretty ropey. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's very common to feel really nauseated. Often people will have problems with vomiting as well. You have minimal appetite often and just want to sleep all the time. Uh, And so that's where I would say, you know, again, do as you want. Don't feel that you have to keep exercising, but don't feel guilty for it. A lot of people, I think, are made to feel quite guilty during pregnancy when they're exercising. But ultimately, if you're going to be a mother, you're not going to do something to put your baby's health at risk, are you? And I think that we we really underestimate the impact of exercise in pregnancy in terms of mental well-being, because this is a really big time for a woman. You know, her whole life is about to change. And I think that, you know, you really have to be doing all the things that you enjoy. And so to be told by someone who has no medical training and doesn't really know anything about you and your health, that you shouldn't be doing X, Y, Z in terms of exercise and training, then that person needs to buzz off because they are not helping. They're not contributing in any positive way to this pregnancy. You know, obviously things like contact sports, if you were playing rugby, for example, might want to give that a bit of a miss during yeah. pregnancy. Or, you know, anything where you're very high risk of having a fall. So if you, you know, horse riding, you know, those kind of sports, okay, maybe you want to wind them down. And again, hot yoga is another thing that isn't great during pregnancy. Because um, of risk of fainting. Yeah, you're going to get really hot and... um you know, your body temperature is going to rise, which, you know, isn't very good for the baby. You could get quite uncomfortable. And yeah, higher risk of fainting because you're going to have much lower blood pressure in pregnancy. That's completely normal. And that's the way in which your body allows the baby to get blood. So it's just, I really think, do as you feel fit. You might find that as your bump gets bigger, there are certain things that you're unable to do. And that's just your body saying, okay, you know, it's time to take it a bit easier your body will tell you what to do and you will know. And I, I just think, you know, just keep doing it if you feel that you can and you feel you want to, but don't feel under pressure and just don't listen to people who don't know what they're talking about. That's really interesting because a few years ago we had an editor at work and she, you know, and she lifted weights throughout her whole pregnancy and she did a whole feature for us on women's health, but she was saying that she... Um, 
you know, throughout all of it, people were like, are you really sure that you should be lifting weights? And yeah. she was like, I'm about to have to cart around a pushchair, which makes more like, and like lift this pushchair up and like move it about and like lift a carry seat and all this type of stuff, which weighs more than these dumbbells. So I actually need to be strong for after I've had the baby. Well, and that's so true because, you know, you're going to be like carrying this huge baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I always say to people as well that, you know, your pregnancy is basically preparing for labour. You Labour is like a marathon. It's this huge exertion on the body. And so you wouldn't sign up for a marathon and then sit on the sofa for nine months. You'd be training. So that's where you've got to keep things going. You've got to be exercising so that you feel strong and fit for labour and then for looking after your baby afterwards. So that's, you know, I get so many people who say I'm really scared to exercise and when I explain it to them like that they're like okay yeah that makes a lot more sense that does make sense <laughs> and you're just more likely to have a healthier pregnancy so we do like to tell women to you know if they're not exercising at all they need to start doing something even something simple like walking you know is is better than nothing because if you exercise during pregnancy, you're less likely to gain excessive weight in pregnancy. You're less likely to get diabetes in pregnancy, high blood pressure. And all of these things are going to be you know, not great for you and not great for the baby no. for sure. And so that's more of a concern than the concerns of people thinking you shouldn't be lifting. For the listeners who have tuned in, who have had a baby, mm-hmm. is there any advice that you would give to them about returning to exercise like, and running? I know there's a lot of issues to do with pelvic floor, which women can experience. Yeah, and I know friends who've experienced these issues and they feel they feel quite ashamed of them when they're totally, it's totally normal. Yeah, I think pelvic floor issues are something that are, you know, really coming to light these days. And I'm really glad that we're talking about it more. And so if your pelvic floor becomes weaker, which can happen through childbirth, um, then you can get incontinence, um, so leakage of urine, um, and you can also get a prolapse, which is where the pelvic organs start to come down. So these are huge problems, but not actually just for people who've had a baby. So they're actually more common in women who run in general. Really? Yeah, because everything that we do puts a strain on the pelvic floor and actually running can actually really put a lot of strain on the pelvic floor. So for anyone who's a runner, whether they are planning on having a baby or have had a baby, I would really like them to start taking an interest in their pelvic floor health. And there are some amazing physiotherapists out there who specialise in pelvic floor health. And I would really recommend if you are concerned that you're not looking after your pelvic floor, if you're having any of these symptoms or you are thinking about having a baby, you've had one, you want to return to running, I would highly recommend going to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. They're amazing. And so a lot of them do kind of like a um, either a sportswoman MOT or a, a mummy MOT, where that what they'll do is they'll examine you, see what your pelvic floor is like, look at areas where you might be able to improve things. It's actually not as expensive as you might think. It's not something that you can do on the NHS. But um, I just think it's such a great investment for women to look mm. after their pelvic floor because your pelvic floor will weaken as you age. Um, it's all to do with the change in the muscle fibres as we age, um, change in the connective tissues. So you really need to be protecting it and looking after it throughout life. And again, that's all about you know long term rather than being reactive. So mm. trying to look after things, prevent things from happening rather than just paying attention when it becomes a problem. When it comes to um, return to exercise after having a baby, I think that... <sighs> 
there's so much pressure on women these days. You know, we see all these celebrities who are like... Snap back. Back in the gym after like five days and you're like, really? Oh. Or running like happily with a pushchair. Yeah. And you're like, are you are you really that happy? Have you had any sleep? Have you put that grin on just for that Instagram photo? Exactly. And, actually- and like, where's your massive pad that you're wearing because you're still bleeding <laughs> everywhere? I mean, I just don't understand. But, you know, I think... Give yourself a good amount of time and it's really hard to put any kind of, you know, real number on it. But so at six weeks, you'll go and see your um, your GP and they'll discuss everything about your health. And I think that's a good time to then kind of think, OK, am I ready to start getting back into some exercise? And just, you know, I'm not saying you can't do anything in the first six weeks. Be gentle with yourself and just be aware that your body's just done something really incredible and really amazing. It's going to take some time to heal. You need to give it that time. And also you're not sleeping. Yeah. (laughs) So everything is much harder. And you're meant to have a month off after a marathon anyway. So, I mean, and that's, you know, when you have a marathon, something doesn't actually come out of you. (laughs) One last question, because we have run out of time. So, Anita, if there was one piece of advice that you could give to women about, about their bodies to empower them in 2020, what would it be? So be aware that you are an individual and you need to pay attention to your body and work out what's normal for you. Because I think that understanding what's normal for you is the number one way that you're going to work out if something is abnormal. And that's when you need to seek professional advice. I think that the internet is an incredible source of information, but you cannot beat having a one-on-one personalised consultation with an expert. Love that. For everyone who's listening in who wants to follow you this year, so obviously you're on Instagram as The Gynae Geek. Yep. You've got your book out. I have. Are you doing any festivals? Is there anywhere that people can come and see you talk? Uh, I have got a few things in the pipeline, but nothing confirmed at the moment. So watch out on your Instagram. Yeah, watch this space. Thank you so much. (laughs) No problem. Pleasure. Hello, everybody. Congratulations on finishing your run. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Chris McGee here for your Well Chill Stretch session. We're going to get straight into it. You can either be indoors or outdoors for this stretch, whichever is going to work for you. Of course, if you're outdoors, make sure that you're in a comfortable space where you're going to be able to put your knees on the ground. And if you're indoors, I recommend that you take off your shoes and your socks. We're going to get started standing, feet hip distance apart. Take a couple of nice big rolls of your shoulders maybe a little roll of your neck from side to side, just loosening off any tension of the upper body as we come into our breath. I don't want you to work on any specific yogic breath today. Instead, I'd just like you to think about some deeper belly breathing and just coming towards a balanced rhythm. So like a nice even inhale and exhale. It could be three seconds, four seconds, five seconds, whatever sits naturally with your body. As you feel the breath rise and fall through your belly, you're starting to slow down the rhythm of your heartbeat. And all of our stretches today are going to incorporate a little bit of dynamic movement to open up the body of the muscle and then settling into a more static pose. So really try and find exploration in the first part of the stretch and stillness in the second. Take a nice full inhale, reach your arms up overhead. Exhale, hinge and fold forward over your legs. You can bend your knees as much as you need when you get to that space. Allow your neck to relax. Reach across for opposite elbows and gently let the torso swing from side to side. 
creating a little bit of space through the back of your body, easing any pressure through the lower back. You can alternate a bend of your knees, a press through your heels to get into your hamstrings a little bit more. And then when you feel like you're in that comfortable space, just settle into a moment of stillness and breathe deeply. Notice the distribution of your weight. If you're sitting back slightly into your heels, maybe come forward a little bit into the balls of the toes, just adding an extra little bit of length through the back line. Take a nice full inhale. And exhale, relax your hands down to the ground. Bend your knees as much as you need. Place the hands on the floor. Step your left foot back into a lunge position. 90 degrees through your right leg, knee stacked above the ankle, thigh parallel to the floor. Come up to your fingertips, roll your shoulders away from your ears, create some space through the neck. As you inhale, start to straighten your right leg as best you can. And exhale, bend back into that lunge position, keeping the back leg as long as possible. Inhale, straightens the right leg. Exhale, bends into your lunge. Once more like that, inhale, lengthen your leg. Exhale, bend into your lunge. Take the left knee to the ground. Keep your left toes tucked underneath. And as you inhale, pull your hips back so they're stacked above your left knee. A nice flex of your right ankle. Your toes are pointing up to the sky. You're pressing your right heel gently into the floor. We work into the static part of our stretch. Maybe a gentle squeeze of your quad in order to create a little bit more space through your hamstring. And as much or as little flex in your ankle as you can in order to create some space through your calf. Think about your chest moving towards your toes, reaching towards the front side of your body. And keeping that nice stack of the hips above the back knee so there's not too much effort or pressure on the sole of the back foot. A nice full inhale. A nice full exhale. A big inhale where you are. Exhale nice and slow, bend back into your lunge. Keep your left knee on the floor, untuck your toes. And as you inhale, reach your hands up to the sky. In this drop lunge position, try and keep some pressure in the top of your left foot and a gentle squeeze of your left glute. You're going to feel that active opening through your left hip flexor. Breathe deeply. If you want to increase the session a little further, just pull your belly button in and up. Imagine that you're getting one inch taller into the pose and that extra little bit of lift should create a little bit more space through the left hip. Take a nice full inhale. As you exhale, bring both hands back down to the floor. Left hand stays where it is on the inside of the right foot. Inhale, your right arm reaches up. We're twisting through our body. Feel the rotation happening through your thoracic spine level with your ribcage. Looking up towards your right thumb. We want to keep feeling that space through the front of the left hip, the left quad. If there's any tension there, of course, stay with it. Just breathe deeply. If you feel like you can go a little bit further today, start to squeeze your left heel up to your bum. Reach your right hand back and take a hold of the outside edge of your left foot. This twisted lizard position, creating space through the quad. If you feel like you can go further again, of course, start to bend through your right elbow, squeezing the heel in using the strength of your arm. If you feel like you have any extra tension in your upper body, you can always start to draw the heel away, creating a little bit more space through your chest, your shoulders. Take a nice deep inhale there. Exhale, slowly release. Take the hands and the feet to the floor. Tuck your back toes. Lift the left knee up off the ground. And begin to walk around to your left. 
coming into a wide leg straddle position. So the legs are like a big triangle and the upper body is hanging nice and heavy towards the ground. Now first to begin with, you're just going to take opposite elbows like we did at the start, swaying gently from side to side, using this as an opportunity to open up through the lower back, to open up through the back line of the legs. If it feels nicer, of course, you can add any little twists, any little movements. Again, just think about gently bringing the weight forward into the balls of your toes. After we played a little bit with exploration in the, in the posture, start to find stillness. Deep inhales. And deep exhales. Releasing your arms nice and heavy to the floor. As you inhale, come halfway up. Find a length through your spine. Your exhale walks around to find your left leg. So you're moving in the opposite direction to where you started. One hand on either side of your foot. Come up to the fingertips. Roll your shoulders away from your ears again, lengthening through your spine. Inhale starts to straighten your left leg as best as you can. And exhale slowly bends back into your lunge. Keeping the right leg as long as possible. Inhale lengthens the front leg. And exhale, bending into your lunge. Once more, inhale, lengthens the leg. And exhale, bends. Control, bring your right knee to the ground, keeping your right toes tucked. Inhale, pull your hips back, stack them above your right knee. Flex your left ankle, toes up to the ceiling nice and strong. Feel the squeeze of your left quadricep, finding a bit more space in the hamstring. Gentle pressure of, through the left heel, a nice strong flex of the ankle to open up through the calf a little bit more. Notice if you're rounding your spine, maybe you want to try and find a little bit more length all the way up through the crown of your head, imagining your sternum, your chest bone moving towards your toes. Take a nice full inhale. A nice full exhale. Inhaling where we are. Exhale to slowly bend, come forward into your left leg. Right knee stays on the ground. Untuck your right toes. Inhale, reach both arms up to the sky. Feel the pressure through your back leg. So we're using a little bit of the strength through the top of the foot, the squeeze of the right glute, in order to actively make space through the right hip flexor. Can you make yourself one inch taller? Is there a possibility to deepen the sensation of the pose either by deepening your breath or by drawing your belly button in and up as we lift? Take a nice full inhale. Exhale, take both hands down to the floor. Keeping the right hand grounded, inhale, reach your left arm up to the sky. Find that rotation through your thoracic spine. We're turning the right ribs towards the left leg. Gaze going up towards your left thumb. You want to feel the space being made through your right hip crease, your right quad. If there's any tension, don't push through that space. Just use your breath to go a little bit deeper. If you feel like you need a little more today, bring the right heel up to the bum. Reach the left hand back and take the outside edge of your right foot. Opening the chest to the sky. More again, you start to bend into the left elbow, squeezing the heel to the bum closer. Or that alternative stretch coming up through your chest, your shoulder, kicking the heel away from the bum slightly. Take a nice full inhale. Exhale to release, both hands and feet to the floor. Tucking your toes, picking your right knee up. Step slowly back into a downward facing dog. 
Hips coming up to the sky, chest pressing back towards the thighs. If you feel like you need to bend your knees, absolutely fine. This is not necessarily a pose solely about your hamstrings. I want you to think about creating openness through the whole back of your body. Deep full inhale. Deep full exhale. From your downward facing dog, inhale, reach your right leg up into the air. Don't worry too much about the hips being level today. Any of the little movements that feel good, you can bend your knee, you can have a little wiggle around. As you exhale, bring your shin behind your wrists. Right knee is behind the right wrist. Right ankle is behind the left wrist as best as you can. We set up for our pigeon pose. You're walking your left leg away from your right leg, trying to create some space, both through the right glute and through the left hip flexor. Now, if this is super uncomfortable and you happen to be at home, you can always sit yourself up onto something. It doesn't necessarily need to be a yoga block. It could be just a pillow or a cushion, something from your sofa. As you inhale, find some length in your spine. And as you exhale, try and fold the body forward over your legs. Maybe it's your forearms or perhaps your chest and your forehead releasing all the way down towards the floor. Again, if you want to add a little bit more relief into the posture, you just build yourself a platform so you have something to rest your upper body on. Breathe nice and deeply. Visualize the right outer hip drawing back and down. The left hip crease rolling forward and down as we make more space. Notice if you have any discomfort or sensation through your right knee, the bent leg. And if you're feeling any pressure, especially through the outside edge of the knee joint, you can either bring the right ankle closer to your left hip so there's a deeper bend. Or you can flex your right ankle nice and strong, adding some activation into the muscles of the lower leg. Deep full inhales. Deep full exhales. Nice and slow, begin to walk your upper body back in, creating some space, pressing strong into your hands. Tuck your left toes underneath, lift your left knee off the ground, and gently step your way back into your downward-facing dog. Any little explorations that you'd like, a gentle roll from side to side, an alternating bend of the knees, shaking out the bent leg if we feel like there was any pressure there through our pigeon pose. You start to take it onto the left side. Find a moment of stillness. Inhale reaches the left leg up into the air. Again, hip can be open, hip can be closed. You can roll the leg around, you can draw some circles, some figures of it, anything that works for you. Nice strong inhale at the top. And the exhale, bringing the left shin behind the wrists. Left knee behind the left wrist. Left ankle behind the right wrist. Working the right leg back, drawing your hips towards the floor. If you need your props, start to put them into place. Know that there's going to be a difference between the left and the right side of your body, so it might not be the exact same setup. Just be aware of that for any time that you repeat these stretches. A nice inhale adds some length through your spine. And exhale slowly, releasing your body forward. Focus point into the pelvis. Feel the even distribution of weight between the left and right side of your body. It's very common to sit all of the weight towards the left bum cheek. Can you draw the right hip crease forward and down a little more? That might be 
specific point of tension, especially if we've been doing a lot of running recently, the hip crease tends to get a lot of work, a lot of love needs to be put back into that place in order to find some balance. Take a nice full inhale. A nice full exhale. Very slow, begin to come back up. Find your hands in contact with the floor. Moving any props out of the way. Tucking your toes, lifting your right leg. And stepping slowly back into your downward facing dog. Bringing your knees to the ground. Sit your hips to your heels through your child's pose. Take a moment of rest and release. Inhale fully. Exhale fully. With control, bring your shoulders forward, stack them above your wrists. Swing your legs out to one side and come to sit down on your bum. As your sit bones make contact with the ground, lengthening your legs out in front of you. Feet somewhere comfortable between hip and shoulder distance. You can allow yourself to slump gently forward over your legs. Don't worry about this being super active. So if your toes don't stay flexed up to the ceiling, that doesn't matter. You don't have to reach for your feet. You don't have to grab with your arms or your upper body. Especially if you feel like you're stretching more through your upper spine than you are through the legs or the lower back. Try and find that lift, that elevation through the sit bones. Deep inhale. And deep exhale. We're going to be here for about 20 or 30 more seconds. This is an excellent passive stretch to maybe take in at the end of your day as well. So something to take away to maybe just add before you go to bed at night. Allow yourself to sit down. Take a couple of moments to fold. Let the body release and open up. Or if there's ever a morning when you wake up and you feel particularly stiff or sore from all of the work that we've been doing, you can just add this in as maybe the first thing of the morning just to let your body Slowly crack open and release before we go about our rest of our day. Take a nice full inhale. A nice full exhale. Very slowly, bone by bone, letting yourself build up lower back, middle back, upper back, and the head rises up last. Any little movements that you need in order to settle coming out of the stretch. A moment of appreciation, giving thanks for all of your hard work, both on your run and in your yoga. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a great rest of your training schedule. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you want to come and do class and you're based in London, you can find me at Cycle. I'm the head of yoga there. CycleLondon.com is the website. If you want to find me online, socials, if you have any questions about yoga or anything you want to ask, it's Magizi on Instagram, M-A-G-E-E-S-Y. And if you're interested in doing any sort of yoga teacher training, you can find me at my website, EmpoweredYogaSchool.com. I'm back, guys. I hope you really enjoyed our new cool down session. If you did, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. I know it's a bit annoying because all us podcasters ask for it all the time, but it really does help other runners in need of some help find the show and let them into our community. So please, you know, go on, leave me a comment and also hop over to IG and share your posts using hashtag welfare. I love seeing them.
Before I go, I just want to say a final shout out to F45 for supporting my mission of helping you guys get well fit so you can run well far. I genuinely couldn't have done this season without them. Head to f45training.com forward slash wellfar to join a global fitness community like no other. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.